Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two awesome guests. I have Mr. Ian Kirkshank and Stephen Granger, both joining me to jam today. Hey, guys, thanks for taking the time to hang with me. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure hey, to be here. Here's how I think we should kind of start off our conversation today. For everybody out there that's watching and listening and kind of don't know, you know, kind of what your guys' background story is or kind of how you guys got started in the industry, I think a couple origin stories are just best way to start us off. So let's go ahead and start off with you, Stephen. You know, how did you get started into this crazy business we call the automotive industry? Yeah. So I've been in the space for six, a little over 16 years now. Um, Started selling Volkswagens and Audis. Before that, I was a recruiter, had my own recruiting agency, the dot-com bubble burst, and nobody really needed a recruiter anymore. And I was super passionate about Audis um, and Volkswagens. And my wife at the time was like, why don't you go sell cars? So I went to the local Audi store, drove up in my convertible TT. My boss later told me, dude, you had the job. You drove up in a TT and you had a resume. Like, we don't see that. Um, did that for about a year and it was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Like selling cars is brutal. And it taught me a ton of valuable lessons just about selling and just people, skills uh, and life really. Um, and then I went to work for a couple different companies selling digital advertising, cars.com, auto trader at the time I worked at the magazine. That's how long ago that was. And then uh, I got recruited by this little company that was just starting to go dealer facing, um, may have heard of them, called Carfax. When I started there, there were, I think, 12 of us talking to car dealers. I was the first person in the Southwest United States dealing at the dealer group level, so anybody from four to 20 stores. Um, like I said, when I started, we all fit in one little conference room in the corporate office. Um, by the time I left, 11 years later, we had to rent an entire hotel to put the dealer facing staff. Um, went through a different roles there, mainly focused on large dealer group uh, account management, was a trainer for a period of time. Um, after leaving that, went to work for a couple different startups um, in the auto space, trying to help them launch their product, get it out to dealer groups. Went to work in a dealer group, a seven store group as the BDC internet director, which was again, really helpful. Um, as a vendor taught me a lot about how bad vendors are <laughs> and made me think like, was I like that person? Right. And just the value of dealer management, realizing, you know, I would get to the store at seven in the morning and leave 10 at night sometimes. Right. And I didn't mind meeting with vendors if they brought value and actually left with something that I could take and make my job better and make my team better. It was the people that would come in and just kind of shoot the shit for 30 minutes. And I'd be like, this is cool. I appreciate it. But now I leave at 1030, right? Like, so it was really helpful for me from the vendor side to think, okay, how am I helping a dealer when I'm sitting in front of them? What am I bringing as value, right? Um, during all that time at Carfax and then after leaving Carfax and working at the dealership, I kept seeing kind of an issue that was dealers were facing and no one was really coming up with much of a solution for it. 
And that's where the idea for my current company, Recall Rabbit, came from. Um, we're a startup in Austin, Texas, uh, helping dealers connect to solve recall issues on their used inventory. And been doing it now, Recall Rabbit's been around about a year, a little over a year. I've just been doing, it's kind of ironic, uh, I went full-time in January. On paper, not the most ideal time to go <laughs> full-time on your startup right before <laughs> world pandemic. Uh, but we've actually seen some really good success and it's been really exciting for me to see not just that we're growing, but the tool that we're providing actually really does help dealers, and especially right at this time. And that's been a, a really cool thing to see. Yeah, it may not be the best time to uh, go full into it, but hey, what a perfect <laughs> time to, uh, yeah. you know, to uh, to be in the industry with a great product. I will have to say, um, and I'm going to give you this award, Stephen. I don't know if anybody's given this to you yet. Is I'm going to give you the award for like the coolest logo ah, of a vendor you. I've met so far. I don't know if you can see it, but it's like this like evil dead looking rabbit <laughs> with like these two wrenches. And I'm just going to say, you have to send me one of those shirts. I, that's okay. just, I yeah, saw anyway. the logo. I want to give you props for that. I apologize. I digress. Anyways, <laughs> Ian, um, well, you're no stranger to this industry. You've uh, been around the block a few times. Um, let's, let's get that origin story. That is Ian Kirkshank. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, for, for me, the, my start into, um, I guess industry and and work was a little less um, uh, I guess a little less normal. My first career was actually as a ski pro. Um, I came out uh, out west after doing my undergraduate degree uh, in business and marketing and HR, um, and I decided I wanted to be a really like badass ski pro. Um, so I decided to go to Whistler um, and spend time on the mountain there, um, and I got uh, distracted a little bit and ended up staying there for about three years um so that was uh, a lot of fun back and forth between australia and teaching skiing at a place called mount hotham and teaching skiing at uh, at whistler mountain and supervising the private lessons and and really it was my first kind of step into management and, and handling a big budget handled uh, about 120 ski pros under my supervision and um, about a six million dollar budget so it was you know a real job kind of camouflaged as a ski bum so that was a, a ton Dude, of you were fun. a ski bum. Let's just admit yeah, it. Come on. Let's, let's be clear. And I, I mean, I skied 250 days a year, and then the rest of the time that I was That by surfing. definition oh, is a ski bum. Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a bad situation. Um, last year, I skied once. This year, I was supposed to go skiing late March. Oh, what so bad timing. It didn't, didn't happen so much. So... Um, yeah, basically, when I was up uh, at the ski hill, I decided, you know, I really wanted to make use of my degree. And uh, a friend of mine, um, who actually worked for me in the ski school, introduced me to a few folks in radio uh, to get into advertising sales, uh, mostly because I looked at working agency side and um, agency side, uh, sort of the more typical kind of cassette, uh, OMD, uh, the, the bigger agency folks, when you enter into that uh, environment. Unfortunately, you can't really earn enough to pay off the debt you incur as a ski pro. Um, so that didn't really uh, work too well. So I decided to go the sales route and really, uh, you know, in, enjoyed that aspect. You know, similar to you, Stephen, uh, learning pretty quickly that the, you know, the sales route is tough. Um, some of my early customers, one of my favorites was a Ford store um, actually in the, the valley between Vancouver and Whistler a place called Sea to Sky Ford, happily named. And um, I remember one occasion when 
the uh, GM of the location was telling his sales team members that they had it easy because at least someone came into the location with the intention to buy a car. No one ever calls a radio rep and says, hey, I want to buy some radio. Um, we're like the, the ugly stepchild of traditional media. Um, so it was a good place to cut your teeth and, and learn the, the sales business and, and get into that. Um, but fairly quickly, having got um, you know past working in, in rural markets, got into the city and was um, selling Jack FM radio, I got really excited about digital, really excited about the different opportunities that we had there. Um, and of course, at the same time, wanted to expand my uh, capabilities and wanted to take on a managerial role. And I got approached by the folks at uh, Pacific Newspaper Group, which is part of Post Media now. Um, and it was to go over and, and help them with, uh, with their management, but also to help them with their digital transition. So I spent uh, about three years at Post Media, helping them shift their team from being traditional salespeople to being digital or tradigital, as they were calling it back then, salespeople, you know. Um, and that was, uh, that was quite an experience. Um, you know, my, uh, my mentor and I, a fellow who um, had been there for, for a little while, we uh, would talk over coffee that we were trying to save the newspaper business. And, um, you know, it was, it was a process and, and we had a lot of success, frankly. Um, but at the same time, we all have, have seen the size of newspaper companies now and seeing the, you know, the $250 million company go down to about a maybe $30 million company, that sort of thing at this point in time uh, was pretty uh, interesting, at least for that part of Post Media. Um, I left that organization to work with a digital pure play, a company called Wishpond. Um, and that was my, my first sort of startup uh, experience um, or first smaller company experience. They were, were truly a startup. Um, since then, the companies that I've been working with have been um, smaller companies, but that have been around for a good long time. Um, getting into pure autos, because, you know, as a radio rep, you sell multi-vertical. So I spent a lot of time working with autos folks, but working with insurance, working with local retail, working with all sorts of different stuff. Um, getting into pure auto was with a company called Speedshift Media, uh, a great company out of New Westminster um, near uh, near Vancouver here that uh, provided digital re well digital marketing tools or inventory marketing tools for folks like uh, actually similar to the folks that Stephen has spent some time with so for Auto Trader uh, for Cars.com for Carfax a little bit for Edmonds um, for Jumpstart uh, we provided dynamic inventory display uh, technology for them and then we built a a network out that enabled agencies and dealers to make use of the same technology. So I spent uh, about five years with those folks and, and really just had a, a fantastic uh, time. And, and it's really where, for me, I realized um, with the help of my, uh, you know, then uh, very young son, I've got a, a six and a nine-year-old now, they really got me into cars. You know, I wasn't, I wouldn't have called myself a car guy uh, at that point in time. Their enthusiasm for the fact that daddy was working with cars um, was uh, really something that, that propelled that, uh, that interest for vehicles themselves. Also, a, an experience with uh, the Porsche driving experience uh, day at a Mission Raceway at a oh, racetrack. I've done that before. That'll pretty much the make anybody an enthusiast. PTS lineup when it was first launched uh, blew Maya and, and Steve Barker, uh, who was mentioned uh, a little earlier as we were prepping. So shout out to Steve. 
Um, but uh, he and I got it behind the wheel of uh, every Porsche that was being offered that season, um, and I was completely hooked. Um, I'm a Volvo driver primarily, and I've, I've driven Volvos probably for the last, gosh, five cars. Um, and that won't change, but the Weekender eventually will be that, uh, you know, the, um, the Targa GT3, uh, that kind of thing, or something, something along those lines. It's something along those so, lines. Yeah, you know, just an extreme uh, monster of a machine. Yeah, that'll be my weekender. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. We we, we got to have a little fun. Uh, first, we got to do some work, um, and that really brings me to uh, to Leadbox. Um, I was approached uh, by a very good uh, friend of mine that I've uh, known for a long time, and a uh, fellow named Rob Barber, who uh, is co-founder um, of. Um, the now combined organization. So he was co-founder of Drive Media that we merged with Leadbox a little while ago. And um, the uh, organization that we've got today really got me excited about their real use of technology to solve for agency problems. Um, so I would say, you know, in many respects, uh, on the surface, we look like a, a fairly typical um, agency that is providing website, digital advertising, um, and other more sort of more typical solutions, as well as a number of technology um, solutions that we've built along the way, and technology that we use every day to take care of um, the, uh, the the problems that we need to deal with. So the things that we deal with internally, dealing with inventory, dealing with inventory marketing, making these things um, more seamless, dealing with video and creating. You know, I used to create dynamic display ads. Well, now we're into dynamic video. We're into dynamic search. We're into all sorts of different pieces of the puzzle. Um, and there's a real great opportunity to help not only our organization with technology, but to help many others. Um, so it'll be interesting to see over time uh, how our organization evolves. But that's, uh, that's me in, in autos. And, uh, you know, like many of us, I've, I've been bitten by the, uh, by the bug. Um, and I won't be uh, going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> That's what I happens like to mafia. all of us. We all get bit yeah. by the bug at some point, right? Yeah. Hey guys, all right, let's, you know what? I want to get into kind of my first question for you guys. I want to kind of start off with just kind of what's the, the current norm for you. You know, the cool thing is you guys both work in a unique, you know, aspect of the business. You know, Stephen, for yourself on, on the service and the recall side of the business, you know, which uh, we were kind of talking a little bit off camera, which I think is a, a great opportunity uh, you know, for dealerships. I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, messages and what messages you should be putting out there, you know, and what is, you know, a good reason, you know, for someone to come into the dealership for us to give us an opportunity to reconnect, you know, they may or may not want to do it, but still it's, it's, it's a, it's a message that's easily consumable. And then, you know, for yourself, Ian, you know, on, on the technology side, you know, boy, we've had to rely more on our technology vendors as an industry than we've ever had in the past you know so i'd love to hear from both you guys of what your kind of current norm is steven i'll start with you yeah so it's been really interesting for me kind of seeing everything that's gone on over the past probably four to six weeks right i've jumped on a lot of industry calls um and it's been fascinating to watch the everybody tout about how we're changing the world. And I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time and we've delivered cars <laughs> to people for a long time. Like this is that different. But um, the things that I think people are jumping into, right? Like home delivery, we'll come grab your car, sound really good and are good. And I think when we get through this, our space is gonna be so much better than before just because we've had to and make these changes. 
But um, I think the little things that people go, okay, great, we're going to do this. You got to think kind of through, and especially like on the service side, how are you making cars safe for people, right? Like, yeah, it's one thing to say, I'm going to come bring your car back, but three techs have worked on it. The porter drove it. Like, how am I protecting the consumer and messaging that? Like, you're probably doing that. And what I've seen on a lot of these calls that I've been on is people talking about that, what services they're using, how they're doing it, and then messaging in that. And I think that's going to be important during this time, too. It's not only are we doing the things that we probably should have been doing, like, I'll use a name that is not very good in our space that people don't like, the Carvanas of the world, right? Yeah, like, you can use everybody, it. I think there's right? nothing wrong Everybody would could do that and has done that. And I delivered cars at home, but thinking, okay, well, how do I message what's unique about us and what's different about Bob Smith Chevy delivering a car to you than some big corporation somewhere else or whatever that is. And then walking that through. And like I said, for me on the service side, the fixed op side, and I, our business does not do anything with the consumer side of the world. We just connect dealers to fix recalls that they have in their used inventory. But even just being on a lot of the calls that I've seen, people thinking about how do we do this differently? And uh, again, for me, like I said, I, I started <laughs> probably not the best time in the world, but like it's cool for me too to see dealers connecting. Like we get such a bad rap in our space. And it, that's one thing that drives me crazy is how I, some of it's deserved, right? But the dealer space. And it's been cool to see everybody just kind of like, how do we help each other? Right? Like I was on one call and one guy, they were talking about giving toilet paper to out because they're like, we have 72 bathrooms in our dealership and we don't need all this, like little stuff like that. And I really think one thing that's cool and we fit into this is I think there's also going to be some stuff that comes out of this, how dealers are going to learn from each other and truly help each other down the road and maybe break down some of that. We're all just added to kill each other that taking a step back, like, what are you using that's working? How are you using it? And here's some data that we're using, right? Like there may be some stuff. I was telling a potential investor the other day that I almost feel like this could be a, a, a moment like the gig economy, right? Like the, the change from Uber and what they've done in the world like there may be some partners out there that this may change how dealers work together and come out of this. That's actually a really good point. I mean, I actually know a couple of dealer associations that are in talks right now of actually how they are sharing resources on almost to the point where also how they're sharing um, employees and technicians. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think there's a, there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot of conversations. So there's dealerships out there that are doing a lot with a lot less. And that's kind of coming, you know, that's our current norm. But I have a lot of dealerships that are having the conversations like, is that going to be my new norm? You know, do I really need to have 170 employees at my dealership? You know, I'm, I'm operating right now. I mean, I have some dealerships right now, and I hate to say it, but it just is what it is, is they're actually having some of the most profitable months I've ever had. You know, yes, their revenue's down, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60%, but their expenses are down, you know, 70, 80%. And I have dealerships that are now looking towards the tech side, you know, and going, you know, how can I, you know, kind of rely a little bit more on my 
tech providers, my tech vendors, you know, and do I need to have so many hands in the pot? Can I process the crap out of this? And in, you know, for yourself, you know, what, what are you seeing? Is, is, is what's the current norm, norm for you as far as conversations out there? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I really like the the point, uh, Stephen, about collaboration that you you bring up, and and Jason echoing that. Um, even you know across the the vendor side uh, of things, right? We, you know, I'm I'm close with uh, probably the, the the head of uh, pretty well every uh, organization across the across the country, and and many into the U.S. And um, you know, one of the things that I've done is is made a point of having regular conversations with folks um, to hear how everyone uh, how everyone's doing and you know what what um, what sort of decreases are people are seeing uh, what's happening in the market what kinds of programs are, are people releasing um, you know how are we supporting our dealer partners um, and you know that air of support that air of um, collaboration that air of uh, humanity uh, that really comes into play in these instances is really a very nice thing to see you know like you mentioned Stephen, giving away uh toilet paper you know we've got gabs and gabs and gabs but why wouldn't we pass it out to the market actually for the first time i was at the the grocery store uh my, my wife and i have uh, she's uh, immune uh, immune deficient and um so we've been very careful about this uh situation and and taking significant precautions so we're going to the grocery store maybe once every couple of weeks and and going on a what was it a Wednesday um, is a is a much better thing than going on a Saturday. Um, so I was in there, and for the first time, I actually saw toilet paper on the shelf. So that was that was pretty exciting. We we were doing okay in that department, no worries. But, Seriously, uh, guys, let's take a moment here. Like, would you yeah. ever think that seeing toilet paper on a shelf? would get you going like yeah, come on right? and Talk in your brain where, where you like everybody <laughs> where you like do i grab it i know we've got some but well that's it <laughs> right? and, and yeah. left it on the shelf right in, in my perspective i did the right thing you know i, I didn't let the uh, the pandemic crazy take over uh i left it there but you know let's let's be clear folks if we were in the world where bidets were more common none of us would be concerned Right. So, you know, there's there's things to be said about European perspective. But um, no, that, you know, all, all of those aspects, the way people are supporting each other. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we decided to do as an organization um, was to you know really reflect on what we could do to help our partners. Right. So it's it's a question of, you know, offering the different recommendations, offering the different things that you can do. Um, what can we do to support uh, financially in certain ways? But then what can we do more uh, for our our dealer partners, um, and uh, you know, a piece that we took on was okay. Well, there's um, you know, a great program being offered for Ford uh, dealerships and or for Ford buyers, effectively. So um, you know, three uh, three months uh, no payments and then three months uh, deferred, um, and that's a great program by Ford Credit. And it was put out as the OEM message for us. We spend a lot of time creating video and doing interesting stuff for our customers. So we said, well, look, let's do a video. And then at scale, let's personalize it. Um, so we were able to personalize it for all of our uh, dealer partners. So um, you know, 125 uh, customers, uh, partners along the way that we supported with that video. And then we said, okay, well, you know, in that in that same air of uh, collaboration, can we do this for all 480 something across the country? 
well, yeah, we can, no problem. And we can distribute it with the other two certified partners for Ford. Um, so in supporting both of them uh, or offering our support to, to both of them and then to anyone who wasn't um, you know, a, a partner store um, within, the, uh, within the Ford program. So that's, you know, it's about asking yourself, you know, is it toilet paper that you can distribute? Is it a video that you can distribute? Is it team members and exchanging of team members that you can uh, support the, uh, the situation with? Just what, what can you in fact do to, to help on the, on the human side of things? No, and I think that's what we all kind of have to do right now. And then actually, it's an opportunity, right? Like, I mean, you know, we're, we're connecting. We're, we're, we're connecting yep. from, you know, from vendor to client, from dealership to client, from, you know what, to your point, just human to human. Yeah. Like, you know, like just even just having conversations, you know, I, I have a list and I'm sure you you guys probably do too. It's just, you know, people that I just, you know, I, I guess I've always wanted to have more of a re regular, you know, relationship yeah. with, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like now it's like, I, I don't feel like I have to just call a, a dealership with the sole intention to sell them something, but just to do a yeah. check in of like, hey man, how's it going? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you doing all right? Is there anything and, I can assist with? I mean, because and it being genuine, right? It, well, that's the kicker. And right. it being genuine. It's not just like, hey, well, let me tell you. Like, I know for me, I'm literally called like, how are you? <laughs> I haven't yeah. heard from three days, and I'm worried because you could be gone, right? Like, yeah. that's how fast somebody could get sick. And so, uh, out of a genuine concern, yeah, yeah, yeah I find that I'm spending uh, a lot of time right now just kind of consulting with dealerships and whatever yeah. I can, you know, from operations. I, I never thought that I would have spent this much time uh, researching uh, the chemical properties of sanitization products so that I can better educate, you know, customers. Like I, I don't sell chemicals, you know what I mean? But it's like I, I, I do, I, I see. I, I see a problem with dealerships out there right now saying that they're going to sanitize vehicles because that's mm -hmm. actually, that's a bold thing to say. Like yeah. you can't just come out and say, we're going to sanitize it. I watched a, a dealer group. That's one of our clients the other day put out a video and they're like, you know, yeah, every single time a car comes in for service or goes out, we're sanitizing. And they showed this video of someone literally spraying some chemical into a rag, wiping down the handle, wiping down the steering wheel, wiping down this, the knot, this shift knob. And then that was it. And I was like, Dude, that that is not sanitizing a vehicle. You you can't say this. You're opening yourself up for a big you know possibility of a, even a potential liability issue, right? Um, but with that said, though, look, I actually think that's a good segue into what I think the new norm is going to be. You know, I mean, look, I don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen two months from now. It's going to happen two weeks from now or three months from now. The government is going to come out and say, okay, you can pop your head out now come out of your cave and go explore a little bit you know you know but that does that in no way or uh, no way means that things are going to be back to normal you mm -hmm. know i was talking to a neighbor the other day who takes the train on a regular basis i said you know what are you going to do for transportation mm -hmm. he's like well i'm not getting back on a train <laughs> so you know he was yeah. asking me you know how what's the cheapest lease he can get on a nissan Sentra. you know i was like he's he's like three i'm like 300 bucks a month and he's like I'm just going to do that, you know? So like a lot of people are beginning to prepare themselves mentally, you know, for what that new norm is going to look like. And I would love to get, you know, both of your guys' thoughts of, you know, what that new norm looks like. Steven, I'll start with you. And then Ian, I'll come yeah. over to you as well for the same question. Sure. Steven? It's funny. I, I was watching Bloomberg yesterday and they were talking with someone about that and specifically like ride sharing. Yeah. Like how is this going to affect that? Are people going to be willing to get in a car with a stranger and that, how it 
will that affect the auto space, right? Like, cause all of a sudden all those people that have been like, Hey, I'm not going to buy a car. I'll just take Uber every day. Like to your point, Jason, maybe $300 a month. Isn't that bad <laughs> for well, safety I'm thinking sake, even right? when I travel. You yeah. Know? I mean, like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm sure you're probably the same yeah. too. You know, whenever we travel or something near this, whenever we travel, like I don't rent a car. Like I just logistically, sure. it just is a pain in the ass. I will right. just go in there. I'll Uber the whole time. And even when I do rent a car, I don't even rent a car from Hertz. I do Turo. I love doing Turo. Like I love driving other people's vehicles, but now I'm like, I'm not yeah. going to do that anymore. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, that's, Continue. Yeah. But that's, it's interesting. Cause yeah, it's, I know for me and I don't know how you guys, like I get so focused on what my world is and what I'm dealing with the, hearing other people in the, kind of in the space has been interesting because it's just, again, what is going to be the new norm? How are, how are dealers going to face customer, right? Because once you do open the tap, imagine having a complete service area filled with people, like, right? And, and to your point, um, my father-in-law was an attorney for a lot of local car dealers, and he used to joke about, you know, how bad they would get sued for anything, right? Like the minorest little detail oh i'm gonna sue the dealer because he's got a big name on the building mm -hmm. like i was thinking about that earlier jason we were talking about the sanitizing saying you're sanitizing cars right like yeah the uh, it's it is it's gonna be scary but i think we'll get through it it's just i think it's it's done a lot for process i think it's been uh, you know i think it was one of your earlier podcasts i was watching jason where you talked about you know we've kind of been through this before in 2008 <laughs> like We'll get through it again, and we have short-term memories, but I, I think it's going to force people to be better. And I think that's what came out of, too. I mean, I was right in the thick of it in 2008. Like, it's crappy to say, but we got rid of a lot of dealers that probably had, shouldn't been in the space anymore, right? And I know that's terrible to say, but like, it really made the dealer space better, more customer-focused force people to be more digitally oriented. And I think a lot of that's going to kind of, this is that next kick in the pants for people. It's like, okay, I've been hearing forever. I got to really be focused on digital. I got to use technology better. But I think also this has done something and you touched on it. I think it's made people take a step back and not, it's been easy for the past couple of years. Easy is not the right word because there's nothing easy about selling cars. I don't want to say that. No, no, no. Look, look, but, that's but actually a easier, good point. We, we've had like, double digit gains like quarter right. after quarter after quarter for like the last yeah. four years straight. I mean, you know, you've been able to, like as an industry, we've been able to half-ass our way yeah. through operations and marketing and still be profitable, you know? Like, yeah. it, it, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, not for everybody, but I'm just saying as, right. as the general for the industry, that's been the yeah. case. And so I think it is forcing people to really look like, is this vendor helping me? How is it helping me? Not just monetarily, right? Because there's other aspects about dealing with a vendor that can be helped, right? Like um, Ian was talking about, like, are they working together and doing stuff beyond the pale that I'm not paying them for, but it really is helping me? As well as just the dealers, like, you know, one of the things that I was super adamant about with starting our company is providing something that there was a clear ROI and a dealer could say, yes, it makes money because I see so many vendors in our space and I hate, I don't want to get off so bad, <laughs> bad vendors, but like, and I don't want that to come across because there are a lot of great vendors, but like that think they're smarter than car dealers and I'm going to create this cool technology and it's going to help the silly car dealer. Right. And at the end of the day, it doesn't help them sell more cars, doesn't drive more traffic, build a, doesn't really do anything. 
And I think this is also kind of a cleansing of that, right? Like, no, I'm with you. I, I think the days of perceived value is right. gone out the window. And, yeah. you know, I think when we come back into this new norm, you know, for, for a lot of our industry in general, we put a lot of stuff on pause, right? Pretty much yeah. anything we could put on pause, we put on pause. Yeah. And I think that that's going to take time, you know, that's going to allow us the time to look at the vendors that we're working with and the technology that we're using and going, was there just simply a perceived value or was there real value? You know, I do I turn also, this vendor back on? Yeah. It's also helping us on this side of the fence, right? To really look inwardly and go, okay, do I have way too many people out on the street? Right? Like I, <laughs> I used to handle a large dealer group at Carfax. And it's really funny because one time he's like, you guys don't give me the same kind of stuff that another vendor does. They're taking us to the Super Bowl and putting us in a suite. And I was like, okay, let's take a step back and think about that. Yeah. If you pay me what you pay them, I'll take you to Paris once a quarter, dude. Like they're right. Like I think it's also forcing us to look at our products. How is it really working? Do, is this a time that I can tweak, make things better and really provide a better value that I don't get on the chopping block, right? That when that dealer's having that conversation, is this tool helpful for me? How are they helping? You know, it's, it's making us better too. And I've seen that on a lot of the calls. Like you mentioned earlier, I, I think it was Ian, like I was on a call with AutoTrader and cars.com, like senior leadership. And I was like, okay, I'm worried that like space time continuums about to like implode here. And they were positive about each other and helping. I was like, wow, this really is strange times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, uh, you know, as, as you, as you go through that, Stephen, there's, there's a lot of different thoughts that I've got relative to, you know, new normal. And it's, um, you know, it's a funny thing that that word normal in and of itself is, is, uh, kind of misplaced in so many respects is normal. And, you know, we talk about our, it with our kids, right. You know, different is totally great. Um, right. And, you know, the new normal, what, what, what's going to be different when we come out the other side and, and for how long, right. You, you talk about, um, you know, 2008 and, you know, there was some changes immediately after, and there were some changes in the market. There were some changes in the players. Uh, but how quickly did things uh, fall into place in that different reality? And so, you know, same sort of thing as we come out of this, how quickly will things fall into place in this different reality? Not That's in actually this a really good point. Ian. Actually, you know, because oh. I wonder, like, what's the difference between kind of 2008 and now? You know, um, for the recession, it was, an, it, it was more economics. Mm. Right. So, I mean, I think everyone coming off, it was like, well, okay, if I buy the car right now and I lose my job yeah. next month, do I get to keep it? Do I have money in my pocket? Right. It, Where it, now? Yeah. You know, it's totally, it's more of a social thing, right? Pocket. What else is in my pocket with my keys? What germs are hanging out there on the key that the guy just, you know, gave back to me or the, you know, the, the clerk just gave back to me. And it's like, okay, well, this is, this is great. You know, these are things I need to be concerned about. Frankly, as much as I travel, Previously, like I've, I've been in my home office now for a lot longer than I normally stay. My family's loving it. I'm loving spending the time with them. But realistically, you know, every other week I would typically be on a plane. Now, I have the, the stuff in my bag to wash my hands. I've got my, I, my hand sanitizer here. Um, you know, I'm always taking these precautions. I don't touch doors with my hands. Give me a break. break. Like that's never going to happen. I elbow the, uh, you know, the handicap button. I, you know, I'm, I'm already carrying myself in a way that is very cautious because, frankly, I think in, in our business, in our roles, 
uh, we can't afford to take a sick day, right? So now, you know, you, you bring it into, okay, am I going to jump in an Uber? Am I going to do this and that? Well, frankly, I probably still am because I'm already taking significant precautions uh, and being careful and I'm not like sucking my thumb after I get out of the car and that kind of thing, right? Um, so we're, we're being really careful in that regard. The conversation around process and, and how that's improving, we've been having a lot of conversations about uh, digital retailing and, and you know, the, frankly, the, I, I see it a lot as a misnomer. I think people think uh, digital retailing is synonymous with e-commerce. To me, uh, e-commerce is an actual transaction online. Digital retailing can be all the things that precede it and a transaction online. Yeah, it's more like a would, process. Yeah, exactly. And the, the process or process depending on where you're from, uh, is going to affect, um, you know, we're going to need to make more and more changes. And it was interesting. I was chatting with a, a senior team member at, a, at an OEM uh, earlier this week, and we were looking at um, the, the, the list that I perceive to be kind of the seven, eight steps towards a transaction, towards the completion of a transaction. And we just need to, you know, make sure that we can get through the first four, let alone the last four where we're doing paper and we're delivering the vehicle. Like we need to make sure that a consumer can actually get the final price uh, and actually know what, like, what am I going to pay for this vehicle once I get there? What am I, you know, what accessories am I going to put on? What's that going to cost me? What's financing going to actually cost me? As opposed to thinking, okay, well, we need to get, you know, the, the full paper done. We need to have that ready and we need to deliver it. What happens to delivery? When organizations, you know, our, our dealer partners aren't set up to deliver, uh, you know, how many more people is it going to take to deliver all of these vehicles that are, you know, maybe as far as 100 kilometers away, right? So, you know, that comes into a reality check when you think, okay, can Real I- quick, sorry to interrupt, but have you heard about this? Because I, I haven't. I just heard about this this morning. Have you heard about these third-party delivery companies now popping up? Yeah. Interesting. Where, where it's like, it's like we will handle and take on the liability and responsibility of delivering the vehicle, you know, for you because, you know, because a lot of provinces and a lot of states have kind of opened up to as far as like how documentation can be signed versus wet sign versus digital sign. You know, like I've all of a sudden I got hit with a couple, you know, people this morning on my DM saying, Hey, Jason, we're now offering, you know, delivery services for dealerships. I'd love to chat with you about it. Um, it, it's an idea. I, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to well, jump in there. So, I just thought it's, it's something new, things. right? No, no worries, Jason. So many things are going to come out of this reality, right? Um, and that's that's the kicker. You're, you're going to have all of these changes that are going to occur. Some are going to stick. Some are just going to be around for this period. Some are going to continue to evolve as we go through into the, the different reality that's on the other side. It's funny. I worked at a Mercedes store a couple of years ago. For a brief time and they used a company and i all of a sudden i just started seeing them on a bunch of these calls and what's interesting is now they're using lyft to go grab and i was like how mm. does that make me feel better as a customer like and they tout it like big like we have lyft drivers that come and get your car i'm like i'm not sure that's gonna last <laughs> yeah. like you might read to think that yeah but i think the it cool part is that what's going on in the industry is that we are all having to take a look at our process like i mean i don't think i i I haven't personally seen a dealership yet that I think's got it a hundred percent. You know, I'm finding that there are some dealerships that were maybe a little better prepared, um, you know, for this than others. You know, I was talking to a group the other day, nine rooftops, and you know, for the last two years, they've been a one price dealership. 
Mm. Like that, that's it. It's just one price, nothing yeah. else. New cars, used cars, they constantly are changing the prices. But the fact that there was no, that, that, that there hasn't been negotiations and there's not ever going to be negotiations, that that process kind of, you know, leading into this online was is more simple because one yeah. of the biggest elements, you know, of purchasing a vehicle was the negotiation of the price. And right. they've totally removed that. They actually had it removed for two years. So now them going on to a full online, they, they already seem to be kind of ahead. But I think everyone has to sit there and kind of question, like, you know, what is the process? You know, what is the customer want? I think what it is is like, and I keep pushing this, is that as an industry, we want to hold on to the control. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, oh, uh, do, you, do you think we're a bunch of ego-driven control freaks? That, that's, the, that's the test drive thing. Well, this this person did a test drive at another store. No, 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 no. You have to do the test drive. You have to ride along with them to make sure they're going to buy that car. Frankly, my best experience with test drives has been, here, Ian, take the car, bring it back tomorrow, right? I'm still driving the last one that I did that with, right? Well, mine too. In fact, actually, the Armada that I'm driving right now was exactly that way. I went in there, they're like, you like that one? I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about that one, but it's big, like the biggest, it's the biggest SUV we've ever owned as a family. It's huge, <laughs> you know? And I was like, do you mind if I take it for a longer drive? He's like, yeah, I'd take it for the weekend. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, and then I, I completed the transaction. I would say 80% of the transaction was done over text message because mm -hmm. I just, everyone knows that you call me, I'm probably not going to answer because I'm on a podcast like this or doing something else. But the dealership was willing to craft or to kind of change their process ever so slightly to to match my needs. They weren't saying, no, I have to be this, I got to go through this step and this step and this step, and there's no variation to it whatsoever. You have to follow it my way. And I'm thinking that's kind of the biggest fundamental change for most dealerships. Yeah. And I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Yeah. That's, is, is, that's do, do you guys feel that same way? That's it's, it's, we used to talk about it actually in, in media. So when I was working uh, in the digital world and trying to help media companies uh, understand digital and that they, they literally had to be in every medium because the consumer wants to consume the media in the medium they choose. They want to either snack on Twitter, they either want to you know, look at it on the web, they want to get a physical copy of the newspaper or whatever it is. Same thing with consumers, they're going to want to be in whatever part of the process that they can. And this idea of, of making the transaction an omni-channel thing where you can start here, pick it up there, take it back home, continue over here. I mean, I had a, a great um, uh, dealer partner of ours, a Honda store saying, hey, you know, I think it would be really great if we could digitize the F&I process so that someone can come in, figure out what car they want, and we can actually send them home and they can make their selections with proper information at home without the pressure of someone trying to sell them. Because, you know, after all, people want to buy, they don't want to be sold. Right. So we, we saw all sorts of things. And there's tons of studies out there that'll say that the self-guided process, as long as there's proper information, people can make a good decision, that they're more likely to increase their basket of goods, the pieces that they're going to add on, whatever the case, if they're doing it on their own. Right. If they're taking their time and they can do so thoughtfully without pressure. So, you know, maybe we, we need to be more focused on, OK, you know, it's not about. I can do the whole transaction online. It's about, I can help you with whatever part you want to do in store or online. At the same time, chatting with a friend of mine who's in Arizona and he's running uh, six, uh, six stores down there. And the conversations with folks are, 
you know, hey, we can take care of this online if you want. We can we can go through this whole process. Oh, no, no, no. I'll just come down to the store. That's okay. Um, and, you know, their preference in their market for most of their stores, and they did, uh, you know, what, 20% less business. Arizona is seeing about a 25% decrease. They're doing about a 20% uh, decrease in, in total business. Is that it's not, sales or service or total? That's, uh, sorry, that's new and used uh, sales combined, not service. Um, and they're, they're doing, frankly, quite well. So in that regard, the, the consumer that wants to come down and do that transaction in person, because frankly speaking, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that people will still want to do in person. And it all depends on who created the survey that's going to tell you that they actually want to do it online, right? Was the survey facilitated by someone who helps transactions online? Or was the survey facilitated by some sort of uh, body that didn't really have a, uh, uh, you know, a dollar in the game? They were just actually collecting legitimate information. Well, I yeah, think that's I, what it I, is. As an industry, we have to do that. Sorry, Stephen, yeah, you want I to think, add to that? I was going to just say, I think Ian makes a good point. It's providing what the customer wants and figuring out how do you build technology and process around that because instead of like, this is how we do things, right? And yep. I think of myself, um, like four years ago, I bought a, Mini Coop, a used Mini Cooper from a dealership that's, you know, in Texas, everything's far away. <laughs> it was like, I'm sorry you bought a used Mini Cooper. It was fantastic, but it was literally one of the best buying experiences I had. I never talked to the guy, emailed, text, showed up at my house with the paperwork. We agreed on everything. I signed it. I never drove the car, but I had owned a mini before. So I knew I liked the brand. I liked the way it drove, but I, I agree. I think it's so everybody's so quick to jump on this. Like we got to do it all digitally. We got to do everything. Well, I, I always tell people like, it's the second most expensive thing people buy in their entire life. Like you're not going to buy a house online, right? Like you want to look, feel, where's my couch? The same thing with most people is the car, right? Jason, you the Armada. You would not have bought it thinking, is it going to fit in my garage? Right? Like I remember back in the day when the, uh, What's the expedition or the Ford, the biggest Ford they made? I remember renting one one time. Yeah, the excursion. Little, little teeny <laughs> kids, and I, we were going to take a road trip. I bring it home from Hertz, and I, it's this far out of my garage. I'm like, well, how, how, how do people buy, right? But had I bought, had I just bought that, I'd have been like, yeah. great, uh, honey, yeah. I got good news. We got this big car. Better news, we're buying a new house because I can't fit it in our garage, right? Like, I still think they're, is process that consumers are going to be involved in and want to do it differently. And there may be people like me who are like, sure, I know what I want. I'll buy it all online. Yeah. I don't want ever want to talk to anybody, but yeah. your point, I think it really depends on the marketplace and being yeah. ready and willing as a dealership to do it that way. Right. Well, yeah. and it I think really that's the key is the willingness, work. right? Like, I mean, I don't think we can have, we can't have one sales process. We can't even have two or three different sales processes. I mean, I would literally be sitting down right now, writing out a playbook that probably included 17, 20 different sales processes, depending on who the individual is and how they wanted to continue to proceed with the sales process. And that's actually just sales. I'd probably write four or five different service processes right now, based on how the customer feels comfortable in in bringing in their vehicle or not bringing in their vehicle. And I would have these different things laid out. I think that's just, a, I think at the core of our conversation is what we're talking about here is that we do need to sit down. We need to rewrite the playbook, you know, or we need to add, you know, another 10 to 15 plays that we've never had before. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Guys, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our conversation today. Boy, that time yeah. went fast. That was a lot of fun. Adaptability, right? Oh, sorry. What was that, Ian? Flexibility and adaptability, right? You, you know, you need to, and that's, I think that's one of the most difficult things for our dealer partners is that the team members that they are able to put on the floor in many cases uh, have such a great need for a very clear process to be able to follow step by step and don't necessarily have the nuanced skill to know when they need to shift gears, when they need to go outside of that process. And in many cases, we don't, as, as leaders, we don't want to give them the flexibility because we're concerned that they'll fall so far outside of it. And it's, it's really that, um, you know, uh, with, uh, with great power comes great responsibility idea, right? If we're going to give them that. I love the fact you just quoted Spider-Man. You, you, you rock. If we're going to give them that ability, we're talking origin stories off the top. I mean, come on. Um, we're, if we're going to give them that, we, we have to um, probably, frankly speaking, train them that much more to know when they can shift and that it's okay and empower them to do that too. But it, I, I understand the hurdles. I appreciate the hurdles that exist uh, at the store level in that. And, uh, you know, is, is technology going to provide those answers in part, uh, but not, not as a whole? It's going to assist. But no, I think that's what I mean. That's what we're talking about here. It's it's empowering someone with the flexibility to let the customer steer the direction that they want to go in. You know, and it's I I, I see us in the new norm being more of a supporting role, not necessarily like come follow me role. You know, it's mm. like I, I just feel like I, I feel like I need to see the customer and the dealership side by side through the process versus the customer behind the dealer and the dealer's like, come on, follow me. Let's go. We're going yeah. this way. Right. Yeah. Guys, I know well, we're getting towards the tail end of our time today. And um, I know, no, I know we could probably easily jam for another hour here. So I want to thank you guys for taking the time to, to do this with me. But before we leave, I get to ask my favorite question of the day. All right. I know you guys had some time to think about this. So this is your opportunity to rant as heavy or light as you want. All right. And Steven, I'm going to start with you. Steven, what is pissing you off who that was a t this is i've been thinking about this just uh i think the constant communication from every person i've ever maybe gone on their web page <laughs> in the past 30 years telling me how safe they're gonna make me be through the COVID 19 and every single person you ever that, gave an email to yeah the two that are probably like the biggest ones in my life my landlord and my uh the company that has my car loan have not reached sent me one of those and i think that's very ironic i'm like wait everybody else who i could care less whether they are going to help me out through this is emailing me but i think that's that's my my big which yeah. isn't a real big one in life no, I, I think it's a yeah. good one though yeah. i think yeah. the, the the communication then, or sometimes a lack of communication all right you know that i agree with that all right yeah. ian you're up what all is right. pissing so, ian kershank off I'll tell you what's what's pissing me off. Um, people's um, different interpretations of shelter in place or social distance or social isolation and making the decisions that they're making uh, that are not conscious of the population as a whole, but conscious only of their own wants, desires, personal needs, personal affection, affliction, whatever. It's it's. It is mind blowing to me to, you know, go into an environment like the grocery store. All right. We go into the grocery store. We're all lined up. Everybody's, you know, there's a predetermined spacing. 
you go into the grocery store, all bets are off. You go over and you're, you're trying to you know, reach for eggs or, or milk or in my case, soy milk or whatever it is. And you're, you're grabbing this stuff and you've got three or four people bearing down on you. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, come on. Let's, let's keep the same distance that we're told to keep outside, inside the premise. And if you don't have to be here, don't be here. If you don't have to, like for us, we've been having, a, we've had a couple socials on the driveway where we've got our two friends, another couple at the end of the driveway, and we've got a fire pit in the middle of the driveway, and my wife and I at this end of the driveway, right? So we've got, not, not only do we have distance, we've got this raging fire in between us to burn everything possible. Because like, there's, there's no way. And everybody's in a different situation, right? Like there's so many people like the, um, you know, more youthful folks that are out there thinking, I'm not going to be affected. And then you've got folks that are thinking, okay, well, I, I can't leave my house because I'm a senior. Our neighbors across the street, we've been getting groceries for them and helping them out. And, you know, they're, they're not willing to, to leave the home at all. So let's just remember, let's support each other. Let's bring that humanity back into our decision-making at every turn. So anyone watching this podcast and everyone, uh, you know, considering the importance of this distancing, just, you know, think, think twice before considering your own needs and your own distance and think of those that are immune deficient and that need a little more separation. Well said, Ian. I think that was one of the best friends we've had so far. Thank you for doing so. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, uh, but before we uh, end our, our session today, uh, for everyone out there that's listening and watching right now and uh, would love to connect with you gentlemen and just uh, either socially or you know through your company website, uh, learn more about what you guys do or follow along with your journey, You know what is the best way to do so? Stephen, I'll start with you. Yeah, I would say if you want to go to recallrabbit.com uh, or email me, Stephen, it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at Recall Rabbit. Love to connect with anybody. Awesome. Whether it's about recalls or not, uh, anything somebody wants to reach out to me about. You guys heard it. Just call Stephen. He ain't yeah, asking anything. Call me. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, for yourself, what is the best way to connect with you? Yeah, for us, uh, you know, to, to learn about our organization, uh, leadboxhq.com. So L-E-A-D-B-O-X-H-Q.com. Uh, you can check that out. But for me personally, uh, finding me on LinkedIn uh, is likely the, the best way to go. Yeah, easy to connect with me there. Uh, response time can sometimes be a little bit slower, but I do uh, get to it as, as Jason personally knows. Um, and it's uh, Ian C-R-U-I-C-K, as you can see down in the bottom corner, S-H-A-N-K. Um, and it's just that, you know, if you want to just do the linkedin.ca slash and my full name, you'll get it right away. Uh, or you can search there, but frankly, through the website and my email address, easy enough, is just Ian at leadboxhq.com. And it's not uh, it's not Leadbox, as some people outside the industry think sometimes. <laughs> it's Leadbox. That's awesome. Hey guys, thanks again for taking the time to jam with me. You guys have an awesome day. Thank you too. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye now.